This is Joseph Boer, and I'd like to welcome you to another podcast of Atik Bahamashiach Ministries. In this podcast, I want to focus on the Torah portion entitled Parsha Shalak Laka, which spans Numbers 13.1 through 15.41. Now, most English translations entitle this the Book of Numbers, but it's actually Bamidbar in the Hebrew text. And Bamidbar means in the wilderness, which makes this the better choice because all that happens in this particular book takes place in the wilderness. The Parsha, or the weekly Torah portion, begins with, And Yodhavave spoke to Moshe, saying, Send men to spout the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Send one man from each tribe of their fathers, every one a leader among them. Now, the first word in verse 2, sin, is translated from Shalak Lakah, which is where we get the title. This passage almost sounds as if Yehovah was instructing Moshe to send men in to spy out the land. But Shalak Lakah actually means send for yourself, which suggests Yehovah was giving his permission rather than issuing a command. This is confirmed in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 22-23, where Moshe says, And all of you came here to me and said, Let us send men before us, and let them search out the land for us, and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go, and of the cities that we will come to. And the matter was good in my eyes, so I took twelve of your men, one from each tribe. So this whole incident in the wilderness began with the people's request to spy out the land and Yudhevave allowing Moshe to send in these men. And also the word spy here is not the best translation. Spy is from a Hebrew word that means to explore or search out. Spying kind of suggests a more of a covert operation, but these men simply went into the land to see if it was all that Yudhevave had promised them it would be which may have well been their first mistake of this mission. Twelve men were selected, but two of them really stand out from the others. The first is Caleb, son of Yefuna, of the tribe of Yehuda. In Numbers 32:12, Yefune is identified as a Kenizzite, who were part of the tribes living in the land when Yehovah first made this covenant with Abraham. Caleb's name is from the root word, which means to turn or to focus. The fact that his father was a Kenzanite and his name means he will turn or he will face has led many to speculate that Caleb was among the first Gentiles from the promised land to graft into Abraham's seed. And the second man was Hoshea, son of Nun, of the tribe of Ephraim. Now Ephraim was the son of Yosef, who married Aznath, the daughter of Potiphar a priest of On in Mitzrayim, or Egypt. So both he and Manasseh were of mixed blood. Before the men left to go explore the land, Moshe changed Hoshea's name, which means salvation, to Yehoshua, which means Yah is salvation. And this is also the name of Yehovah Elohim's only begotten son, Yehoshua of Nazareth. The point is that a person's physical bloodline isn't what counts. Once a person grafts into the seed of Abraham, they are counted as a native born. In Exodus 12:48, Yehovah declared, "And when a stranger sojourns with you and shall perform the Passover to Yehovah, let all his males be circumcised, and let them come near and perform it, and he shall be as a native of the land." And later in Ezekiel 47:22 and 23, Yehovah declared that once a Gentile grafted in and became a Hebrew, 
He said, and it shall be that you divide the, the land, the promised land, by lot as an inheritance for yourselves and for the strangers who sojourn in your midst and who bear children among you. And they shall be to you as a native born among the children of Israel. And with you, they have an inheritance in the midst of the tribes of Israel. And it shall be that in whatever tribe the stranger sojourns, there you give him his inheritance, declares the master Yehovah. There is no higher authority. These 12 men, all men of standing within their tribes, spent 40 days exploring the land. They returned with a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bore it between two of them on a pole, also of the pomegranates and of the figs. All of this is evidence of how good the land actually was. Unfortunately, 10 of the men didn't have the faith to encourage the people to go in and take the land. They warned that the people in the land were strong and they lived in fortified cities and the descendants of Anak were there as well, along with the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites. The people, they argued, were just not strong enough to defeat them and take the land. They even reported that the Nephilim were in the land, and the Israelites would be like grasshoppers in their eyes. Now, Nephilim is from a root word which means to fall or to drop quickly. And the first time we read of the Nephilim is in Genesis 6-4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of Elohim came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, the men of name. Now notice that Yedevave said that the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. And here we have confirmation that they were exactly as Yedevave had said they would be after the flood. Now, if you're not familiar with the rest of this story, please pause this podcast and go and read chapters 14 and 15 so you can better understand some of the lessons I'm going to share. And I'm going to begin first with a question. Why weren't Caleb and Yehoshua allowed to continue on and settle in the land? I mean, after all, Yehovah can protect two as easily as he can protect two million or ten million or more. And while there are probably many reasons, one reason is evident from the life of the prophets. Sometimes the most righteous among us must suffer with those whose faith isn't as strong in order to be a light and a source of encouragement and teach Yehovah's way during the trying times. Now, Caleb and Yehoshua were, they never grumbled. They never complained, which is something Yehovah Elohim does not tolerate among his children. Among other places, read Numbers 14, 29 through 30, and go back and read when they grumbled in the wilderness, how many times it brought Yehovah's displeasure. And then in 14, 8 and 9, Yehoshua and Caleb warned the children of Israel. They said, if Yehovah is delighted in us, then he shall bring us into this land and give it to us. Only do not rebel against Yehovah, nor fear the people in the land, their defense has turned away from them. Their warning to the children of Israel in the wilderness holds just as true to today. If Yehovah delights in us, then he will bring us into the land he has promised us. And not just into the land of Israel, but the land under the Messiah's reign so that we can reign with him. But this is not going to happen for those who rebel against Yehovah in this lifetime. 
even if the reason for your rebellion is fear of the people in the land. The reason being is because even today, the defense of the people who have given themselves over to the ways of this world, well, their defense has been defeated. And if we resist him, he has to flee. No one who believes in Messiah Yeshua wants to hear him say on the day he returns, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, which is Torahlessness, not following the Torah. Like Yehoshua, we must have a different spirit, one dedicated to guarding his commands and following, not just believing, but following him and Messiah Yehoshua. Our walk must be one of faith and obedience, accepting the difficult times with the same joy and faith as in the good times. In 1411, Yudhe asked, How long shall I be scorned by these people? And how long shall I not be trusted by them with all the signs I have done in their midst? Job once declared to his wife, Indeed, should we accept only good from Elohim and not accept evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Failing to trust Yudhe is to scorn him. And oftentimes, it's in the most difficult times of our life that we learn and grow stronger. The battles make us stronger. We also have to remember that unrepented disobedience to Yudhe and his word won't go unpunished. In 1418, we are told Yudhe is patient and of great loving commitment, forgiving crookedness and transgression, but by no means leaving unpunished, visiting the crookedness of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. If we refuse to repent of our disobedience and turn and walk in obedience to his word, expect to be punished, expect to be chastised. And that is a day-to-day walk. We must constantly be examining in our lives to make sure we're not inadvertently or even intentionally not walking in obedience to him, not guarding his commandments, not living as Messiah lived. Crookedness is passed on to one's children by their fathers by what we teach them, by word or by deed. Children not only listen, they see what we do. And if we pass on a disobedient lifestyle to our children, they're going to suffer for it. It is up to men, the fathers, to live obedient, trusting, faithful lives and to pass that example on to our children so that they don't suffer. And we also must learn to stop trying at Avafe. Father Abraham went through at least 10 major trials in his life. And yet he remained to faithful to Yehovah Elohim, even to the point of sacrificing his son Isaac. In 14:22 through 23, Yehovah declared, "For none of these men who have seen my esteem and the signs which I did in Mitzrayim and in the wilderness, and have tried me now these ten times and have disobeyed my voice, shall see the land of which I swore to their fathers." nor any of those who scorn me see it. In the wilderness, they tried our father 10 times, and it cost them. They died in the wilderness. These are just a few of the lessons that can be gleaned from this week's Parsha, but I have one more question to consider. Chapter 15 begins with, And Yehovah spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have come into the land of your dwellings, which I am giving you, and it almost sounds as this should be a beginning of another Parsha, yet it's included in this week's Parsha. There are a couple of verses 
in this chapter that may provide clues as to why it's included with Shalak Lakah. Verses 3 through 12 address the ascending offerings that accomplish a vow or a voluntary offering or as a part of his appointed time, his feast days. These instructions conclude in verse 13 through 16 by telling us, let all who are native do so with them in bringing near an offering made by fire, a sweet fragrance to God Havave. And when a stranger sojourns among you or whoever is among you throughout your generation and would make an offering made by fire, a sweet fragrance to God Havave, as you do, so he does. One law is for you of the assembly and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a law forever throughout your generations. As you are, so is a stranger before Yadavave. One Torah and one right ruling is for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. There are people in this world who are going to tell you that you can't graft in, that if you do, you're not really a full-fledged member. That's scorning Yadavave. That is not what our Father said. Our Father tells us that when you graft in, and you live an obedient life, walking as Messiah, you are the same as a native born. There's no difference. Verses 17 through 31 address what it means to atone for sins committed by mistake. And verse 29 states, For him who does whatever by mistake, there is one Torah, both for him who is native among the children of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns in their midst. So it appears that one reason chapter 15 is included in this week's Parsha is to re-emphasize that a stranger, a ger in the Hebrew, a person who grafts in and becomes part of the children of Israel are the same as those who are native born. The stranger receives the same blessings as well as the same punishments as a native born when we disobey. As such, it's important to pay attention to Numbers 14.34. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a day for a year, a day for a year, you are to bear your crookedness 40 years, and you shall know my breaking off. Yadavave punished his children, including the strangers, for their disobedience. They were broken off. Compare this to Romans 11.17-21. through 21. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, have been grafted in among them, and come to share the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. If you boast, remember, you do not bear the root, but the root bears you. You shall then say, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in? Good. By unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by belief. Do not be arrogant, but fear, for if Elohim did not spare the natural branches, he might not spare you either. And these are just a few of the many, many lessons that can be gleaned from this week's Parsha. But for now, thanks for listening. And let me encourage you, study his word, and don't be satisfied with just being a believer in Messiah Yeshua. Be a follower. Live as he lived. And Shabbat Shalom.